afternoon, people of the world. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today, you know, we're giving you the tools, the ideas, the skills, everything you need to uh, get a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the program. Today, have we got a topic for you. We are going to be talking about child development. Now, here is the funny thing. I go home now, you know, I start. I started going home, and now that I go home, I walk in my house, it's summer, so my kids are all just, you know, they're literally, I don't know what you'd call it, lounging around on the couches, playing with their technology, ignoring each other and me. That's normal, isn't it? For That is normal. Yeah. Ignoring you or playing with technology. All or both of the above. Oh, okay. And then my wife will complain that they just they're just not doing enough. They need to do more. And then I think, okay, I'll kill them. So and I start instituting the killing plan. And then she gets mad at me. Which makes no sense whatsoever. No sense whatsoever. So I mean, that's very proactive. Do you want me to kill them or don't you? And she said, I never told you to kill them. She said, I just said, just help me get them motivated. What are some of your methods to enact this killing in your family? Uh, threats, threats, fear, intimidation. Okay. Uh, I like to create um, confusion. Oh, yeah. I like the word delirious. Don't even know where it fits <laughs> in the sentence, but I like it. I try that, make them delirious. Mm. I'll do whatever I can, but the deal is I'm finding out, and I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a PhD. Yes. Hmm. Unlike James, I actually earned mine. So they just gave me my PhD because they recognized my skills. I didn't. Know I don't know it. who they he, is. He took one of those tests where you can just who bypass the eight years of college it takes. Yeah, I tested out of college. Tested out of college. <laughs> out of graduate school. Uh, you they tested just, out of the passion school. Yeah. But I earned mine. And in all of this study of human development and human and organizational systems and all that stuff, guess what? Hmm. I don't understand my kids. I don't understand them. So we brought on an expert today. I mean, unlike the experts that are already here, we brought in another expert. Yeah. So does that mean that you have to give your diploma back because no. you don't understand them? No, no, no. It's now wallpaper. Oh, good. It's on my wall. Oh. So you're still using it for something. Mm-hmm. Is it framed? If it's not it's framed, framed, it's not real. No, it's framed. Okay. See, James, is he's in the middle because his is just kind of sitting it's there. It's not on yet the, framed. Well, yours yeah. is actually has little yours is still on the <laughs> internet, it? right? Isn't it still – yours is in printable form. Oh, it's, it's – You print. can print it whenever you want. Well, there is a digital it's form. A it's a PDF. I, it's a, that hey. too, but it's also a piece of paper. Well, it's actually not a piece of paper yet. Okay. Well, no, it Matt, is now. You, it is now. It's a PDF. I bet BYU you, you has PDFs. You, you, your signature is one of the signatures on my diploma. On the PDF? No. <laughs> No, on the piece of paper. So, so the the frame uh, is on is on the way. Whatever. So it's going to be official here pretty soon. <clears throat> well, Even more official than it already is. <laughs> yeah. There we have it. So here's the deal: um, child development. Now, you, Aaron, because you so relate to teens. Because I'm a child. Basically, you're a grown up child. Right. You're totally. like you're a teen caught in a twenty somethings body. Peter Pan. I feel like Peter Pan. Let's start sometimes. calling you Peter. 
<laughs> hey, Peter. <laughs> That'll uh, be my nickname. Aaron is officially known as Peter. Okay, done. On the show. And he believes in fairies. He, he yes. does. I don't want to grow up, guys. Sing the song. Uh, I won't grow up. Is it, I don't want to grow up. I don't know. From Hook? I can't remember. Don't sing it. But okay, here's the I'm deal. Trying. You've been doing some research on teenagers, and maybe you could help us to blow open some ideas so that parents can better understand what's going open. on in their teens' head. Yeah. Well, honestly, there's a lot of studies that have been done. Um, this guy named Dr. Jay Geed, he had a bunch of teens stay over, well, a group that he selected, I guess. and um, he gave Stay them, over? Stay over at his lab. I don't know how to really say it right, but he had MRIs and, and different things a, done on them. He was having a slumber party. An M- MRI party. Hey, bring your head. <laughs> Do you guys and want so to get scanned? They scanned him up. They, no, but literally he did it actually oh, for this was Dr. Geed. Geed. Yeah. Dr. Geed. That's cool. And he'd study them for days and even, I think, some of them for multiple days at a time. And just and he, to watch their patterns and see what they were and see what they what did, they how they, when they slept, how their ah, brain acted. Cool. And cool. Um, I kind of like to start out with just one of his bites and kind of go from there. Uh, have, it's a clip on, from YouTube about Bite. a study he did on, on TV. Bite away. All right. Well, I think the most surprising thing has been how much the teen brain is changing. Um, by age six, the brain's already 95% of its adult size. But the gray matter, or thinking part of the brain, continues to thicken throughout childhood as the brain cells grow extra connections, much like a tree growing extra branches, twigs, and roots. It's also... Well, okay. There was another piece to that. But he just talks about how by age six, we have 95% of our brain already developed, but then it can grow in branches. And then something I find interesting, too, that he talks about is how what teens choose to do, whether it's sit on the couch, listen to, uh, to movies, watch video games, or if they're reading books, that will stick with them through the rest of their lives. And oh, I thought that great. was interesting. Well, Where, what they're doing what, now... What my kids are doing all summer, it's going to stick with them forever. Yeah. And like so, what I did as a teenager will stick in some way. Whether I maybe change and mature a little bit, there'll be a piece of me that will still have those either lazy habits or... Oh boy. You're dead. More diligent habits. You're dead. I feel dead sometimes, you know, just because I played tons of games or I, I yeah. was pretty lazy as a teen at times, but well, you I think Pokemon. some of it's okay. Yeah. I mean, that, so that, but I've, you're dead. I've evolved, no pun intended, to my <laughs> second form. Well, you know, it's funny. This actually makes sense now because we've had other discussions about Pokemon and Pokemon may actually explain the millennial generations, right? Yeah. The millennials, because, you know, carried them with, they carried it with them. Got to catch them all, right? <sighs> Got to catch all your dreams, Matt. What, what, what else? What else about. did you learn? So what else did you learn? He also mentions how, believe it or not, you can agree with me or not on this one, but teens have a brain that can match the power and intelligence of an adult's Totally brain. agree. And it's pretty interesting. It's it's the best time to learn. It's the best time to, if you're, that's why, you know, some cultures, they'll start their kids off young with guitar or, mm-hmm. or some ha- talent they want them to gain. Yeah. It's those childhood and then teenage years where your brain is just thriving and, and learning. My, my mom taught me to iron clothes at a really young age. And so you're a, I'm professional, now a professional ironer. I, I am you're a, a professional. You have a PhD in ironing, right? That's what it was, If I such think, a thing right? existed, yes. Well, it doesn't that's what exist. your PhD unless, I mean, unless you can go to where James got his and look it up. <laughs> well, no, no. That, that sounds a little less official than a passion. I mean, yeah. it's, ironing. it's ironing. Is there like a cooler word to say than ironing? Um, 
Pressing. I don't pressing. Know. Pressing. Yeah. Skill. But okay. your your shirts look fantastic Thank every yes. single day. Everything every day. Wow. I usually don't iron the back though because I never see it. <laughs> so why? No, that makes a lot of sense. Why spend the time? But it's interesting when you sit here. So kids, we just kind of look at them like a bunch of dummies that don't get anything, and well, yet. They are just as capable. They just are in. They're in the growth. That's mode. the thing. They're capable, but then those hor- darn ho- hormones, you know, know, come in and their emotions are raging, and that kind of messes things up sometimes because but, they can't focus. Does that not just totally sound like James? He's raging at the board all the time, you yeah. know. And we're not allowed to throw water on. No. Him. Well, it might get on the board, and then we're in trouble from Don. So that's why we need an expert to tell us what to do. Right. Dr. Benjamin Gibbs is going to be joining us. He's going to tell us how to deal with, you know, James. Who's how to in, deal with James. Who's in that stage of development where it's just, it's this convergence of all things chaotic. Hormones, desires, synapses. I don't know if that's what you call it. And Mary and Barry ice cream. Yeah, that'll go down in history. One yep. of the greatest flavors of all time. Greatest. DC, uh, named after DC Mayor Marion Barry. Yep. <laughs> Classic. Okay, well, we today are talking about development, child development. What do you need to know? I mean, certain things, like, have you ever wondered if we all are very much so similar when we're born, why are we all so different when we get older? What is? What are the things that happen to us younger? Does what ha- our parents did to us as a younger child, does it impact us? We're going to be talking about the things that happen to us as children and that, that during our developmental stages and how that will impact us over our lifespan. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back with Dr. Ben Gibbs from Brigham Young University right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we have a special guest in the studio. Dr. Ben Gibbs is his name. Uh, You know, human development, child development is his game. He is an assistant professor of department in the Department of Sociology at Brigham Young University. He got his Ph.D. from Ohio State University in 2009, and his research interests are early childhood inequality and the impact of family background on educational and health outcomes. Ben, by the way, also a father of how many kids, Ben? Four girls. Four girls, and you just – is first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Good you. to have you here. And thank you again, and because it was, it was you know, spur of the moment. Thank you for signing uh, James's um, – his PhD uh, diploma. I didn't have a long conversation with him, but I could see the passion in his eyes. Could you see the passion? We, we like to call it passion. Oh, okay. Even and, better. Um, it just makes it sound more, I don't know, legit. But he signed it. So now you have a bunch of signatures. And then we crossed somebody out. I don't remember who's I, the I signed it in pencil. So yeah, that was based on how this interview goes, it can be erased. No, that was, <laughs> and you know what I would do? I'd focus on how well he like mixes the sound. Okay. If, it, if, he, if we come in too hot, let's just erase that signature. Okay. Gotcha. Um, here's the deal. You took your four children on how long of a cruise? I mean, a cruise. How long of a drive? Uh, it's a one-month road trip. We drove from uh, Orem, Utah to Lake Winnipesaukee, New wow. Hampshire. What were you thinking? 
Four I don't know. kids, one car. We were very. Um, was it a huge car that they could like walk around and have a lot of space away from you? No, it was a Honda Odyssey. Oh my living! Uh, yeah, so children strapped in a car <laughs> uh, over one hundred hours. Oh, so I got to test a lot of theories. Yeah. Did you? That's what I'm wondering because I bet that opened up a lot of like potential new research we could do. I guess I, I think maybe the. F- Ten percent of the trip was helpful. The other ninety percent, I'm not sure what it was. But. What was it like for your wife? Uh, she had to orchestrate a lot of activities because she was kind of like probably having to work the aisle of the uh, Odyssey van, just yeah, up and down the aisle right there. Our bold ambitions kind of broke down after I don't know day three, <laughs> and so like all these plans we had just kind of didn't work, yeah. and um, there was some silent moments of of us in the front seat with the baby crying her brains out. Yeah. Well, I get you're the developmental expert. I guess that's okay. Uh, I, I'll have to look into the literature on that one. I, I don't know what we've done to our children. You may but. have destroyed yeah. your family. What? I might have a whole new research agenda after that. Well, I mean, what's funny is I think everyone's got a story like that. Yeah. Or I have about 20. The thought was this could help us bond and uh, discover the world together. And I think for the most part that probably happened. But the kids were less adapting to the situation was more of us adapting to the yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, and to the kids. <laughs> and to the kids. My tolerance for crying increased dramatically. Did it? So, yeah. Did you? Yeah. That's why I just wear a, head, a headphone. Yeah. I just put my headphones in and <laughs> ignore everybody. Yeah. And then, by the way, I have actually done that. And then I had a highway patrolman pull me over and get mad because I had my headphones on. Yeah, there you go. And I'm like, if you want to sit in my car for about a half hour, I'll let you <laughs> right. experience what I'm doing. If you want to extract secrets from terrorists, I think put this them in is a minivan <laughs> for a couple of days. Take them on a drive you to get a lot win of a Yeah, <laughs> in your van. So here's the deal, though. You are a professor of sociology, but your specialty is, uh, you know, development, child development, early child yeah. inequality. Talk about what do you mean? Because what do you mean by early childhood inequality? Just yeah. is that what is that? Well, um, if you don't mind, I'll give you kind of a premise for yeah. how I got to that topic. I, I started studying um, uh, criminology, deviant outcomes. Yeah. I, I started thinking like that's the way to solve problems is to deal with the big questions in the uh, criminal justice system. We did research at Point of the Mountain. Uh-huh. I, actually, as a master's student, I went to England and interviewed people, that incarcerated fathers in England. Wow. And I was just fascinated because that's when you think of social problems, you think about these. That like, we're handing it down generation to generation. Well, well nothing's more <clears throat> gripping than someone in prison, right? Right. As oh, yeah. a social problem. By the way, just ask James. Oh, okay. Seriously. You're, you're newly back? Yeah. He's, let's just, he's second. He's newly back again. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm still on probation. But again, they couldn't prove it. Right. Well, I, I think it's important he has a job, and that's yeah. actually one of the key uh, deterrents. Yeah, we got to get him a job. job. Yeah, and you have to get, if you get married, I don't know if you're married, Mm-mm. that'll help you f- not going back to prison. I think the research is pretty clear on that. Currently working on that. We'll but, see. How it goes. By the way, he's got a date Wednesday. Will okay. you write that down? Write those down though, James, because those are two things that would pretty much keep you out. <laughs> job, if you can keep this job, and if you can keep dating Maddie after Wednesday. That's a high bar. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, keep going. Uh, but I just got to be – it just got to be pretty uh, um, depressing. It was a pessimistic oh, kind of endeavor. Oh, it's a heavy load. You start realizing that people have decades and decades of experience behind their incarceration that you're understanding for the first time. And I started thinking more and more, where do problems come from? And uh, I, I thought looking at early childhood is probably the best place to start. I mean, 
a lot of what we observe in adulthood are precursors or are, are set up from precursors yeah. early in life. And so I wanted to trace back a lot of where these divergent problems started happening between kids that are doing well and kids that aren't. And so was it did it have anything to do with Nintendo? No, I, I never played Nintendo. Okay. Is that what you're asking me? Well, because we're trying to figure out Pokemon games, Nintendo. Hmm. <sighs> no, I, okay. I never played Nintendo. My I actually watched my friends play Nintendo, and I looked at Nintendo See? Power. And okay, I well, where them. are they now? Where are they now? Uh, they're doing great. Are they in prison? So maybe Nintendo is helpful. Okay, I'm not sure. Um, so so what are, what are you finding out? Well, um, so after some reluctance, I thought, well, maybe I will look at this because you know, looking at babies, infants. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't as glamorous as thinking about, you know, the, the, the hardened criminal. Sure. Um, my advisor at Ohio State started talking to me about some national data set that was really unprecedented. It was national data of early childhood, 10,000 kids hmm. tracked from nine months of age to five years of age using probably the best um, measures of parenting we have yet seen in national data. Videotaped interactions between wow. mothers and children. And with a large data set, you, this is a nugget. This is a nice... Yeah, I'm like, my goodness, can't we figure out some of the origins of problems that we observe in uh, late childhood, middle adolescence? I mean, most scholars that study um, uh, things like uh, the family or just social science generally observe that a lot of these problems are well underway by mm. the time our data gets to yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, these kids. And it's easy to collect data on kids that are in school. Yeah, they're It's easy to collect data of adults, maybe less so these days. But um, until this, this study, and there's been a couple others, we just really – it's been a black box of understanding like how much does early childhood matter? And when I say inequalities, I mean the differences between kids in things that matter to okay, me. Okay, yeah. Would be like early math, early reading, um, nutritional outcomes – um, when did these differences start forming? What under what factors can you start expecting yeah. them to to pull apart? Um, maybe there is a period where it doesn't matter at all, and maybe there's a time period when gains are reversed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I begin began to think it's actually a pretty fascinating thing to do is to look at the origin of inequality within one's lifetime. And and you found because you've done it in a lot of different areas now yeah. too, right? So you uh-huh. can actually say. Uh, children that have this happening at the ages of three to five are more likely to have higher math skills, that it, kind of yeah, correlation. Yeah, I can, I can get closer and closer to that. And as the average listener probably will will well be aware of, these are averages. Yeah. They don't capture everyone's experience. Right. And so probability and averages are not really satisfying for yeah, that. the everyday experience. But they tell a story they and, and they help us get closer at what things – could matter for the average person. So, so what are some of the things? And let's see. Yeah, what are some of the things that that you're noticing? What are some of the things that you're learning? Is it is are we all just born equal? Yeah. And then all of a sudden we be, <laughs> then the inequality begins. Is it an right. environmentally pushed? How, what are you seeing? Uh, this may or may not be helpful, but I I think there's two ways to think about it. Uh, the first way is to think about individually. All of us in this room are individuals, mm. right? We all ish. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Uh, we are all born with our own uh, lottery of genetics, right. biology, whatever. Uh, some of us are taller than others. Some of us have more hair than others. I'm looking around. Yeah, it seems like we're um, winning that one, aren't we, Ben? Right. Uh, <laughs> but some of that you can expect would be linked be, uh, between um, parent and child. Yeah. And some of it's just genetic lottery if you think about your siblings. I mean, there's just a lot of differences. Yes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of who we are can be biological at the individual level. It's just the random biological luck yeah. that, that we inherit. 
Um, but there's another part of us that it's not necessarily luck. It's either um, it, it's determined by some genetic link or it's determined by some social environment. And those things work as forces yeah. that are also hard to untangle. Nature, nurture. This is where they get all caught up. That's right. And the way I like to think about it, and this is a good framework for thinking about some of this research, is that biology gives us a potential. Okay. It doesn't necessarily determine who we yeah, become. Yeah, right. You still have to fulfill it. Right. I mean, I, I notice, and I hope this isn't embarrassing, you're wearing glasses, yeah. for example. Yeah, they're not even mine, by the way. Okay. Yeah, uh, I am. Great. Uh, but those glasses are a way that the environment's interacting with something bio- biology is giving you. Right, exactly. Or maybe someone poked you in the eyes or mad nope. about something you said on, <laughs> but, on air. But it was handed to me by my genes, bad eyes. Bad but eyes? what if I never got glasses? Right. And so that's, that's an interaction mm. that, that really uh, tells us whether or not um, some biological impediment becomes an issue or not. Yeah. And if, and if good eyesight was not valued in today's society, maybe you wouldn't get glasses anyway. Maybe life's better blurry. I don't know. It, well... It's actually not. I, tried. <laughs> I can't even see in the morning when I get up. So that, that's a good that's framework a great to way think. to look at it. Yeah. Well, and also, I guess, because your, your culture, if it doesn't value good eyesight, mm-hmm. then it, but then all of a sudden it could still impact your ability to read. So then all of a sudden you're not reading. You're maybe not performing academically. Right. And right. it could just be cultural. Or you could be born in a home where they can't afford eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you start thinking about how social class can influence even something that's biological. Fascinating. Okay. So here's what we need. Doctor, we're talking with Dr. Gibbs. Uh, he's the assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at BYU. And he's, he's trying to, you know, educate us. And it's hard because I'm so flippant and rude and interrupting all the time. But when we come back, he's going to start teaching us a bunch of the things you've learned. Sure. Little tiny just little things that seem to matter in the development, especially with our children at younger ages. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Dr. Ben Gibbs, who is an assistant professor at the Department of Sociology at Brigham Young University. His uh, research interest is in early childhood inequality and the impact of family background on educational and health outcomes. He's basically trying to figure out what is it, what, what really is going on with these children that tend to be higher achievers academically or, or uh, with their health, who tend to be healthier what are the things that actually make a difference? And so, Dr. Gibbs, again, welcome. Thank you. So good to have you back. Here's the deal. High achievers. Uh, I learned that you were a high achiever, and what was the number one key to being a high achiever was if you took uh, Flintstone vitamins. Hmm. So my mom would get me to take my Flintstones, and then I would go to school, and I didn't do so great on math. <laughs> okay. And then I realized it's a scam. My mom was caught up in the marketing scam gotcha. of Flintstones. You've done research, though, to figure out in this. Did you use this great big body of re- of that big a data, data set? set. Uh-huh. That's correct. What are you learning then about these high achievers, these extreme achievers? Just anybody, I guess, that's pulling some really good marks. Well, I guess you'd want to figure out if all this work you're doing as a mom or a dad in early childhood is going to pay off for yeah. their educational outcomes. I mean. Uh, the phrase you hear a lot today is school readiness. And, and you think about what advantaged parents do 
in the in the time period between birth and five years of age yeah. versus what maybe a, a, a poor household might not be able to do. You, the biggest question is: Does all of that energy pay off? Does it really matter? Does it matter? Does it really matter? And uh, I would say historically, we we haven't thought much about it. We've thought yeah, this is a time period where children just learn and explore and play. But there's been a, a shift in how much energy we put into childcare in America, and since the '80s, that the amount of time that a, that a mother and especially a father has increased, just time spent oh, yeah. with children. A movement called intensive parenting or intensive mothering is um, what uh, the initial phrase was. And so what we're finding is with, with this increased attention on early childhood, you're having kids that are better prepared for school um, on the one hand and other kids that are I, – I wouldn't say not as prepared. It's just they're not playing that game of they're, like they're, yeah. intensive parenting. So they're behind – they're inherently behind. But not historically. Yeah, interesting. And, and so – it's actually early childhood is becoming more and more important because uh, we're putting more and more emphasis on early childhood. And we're doing the kinds of things that are resource related. And so um, it, it depends how you interpret it. But I think a, a mother, a stay-at-home mom, uh, willing and able to put in vast amounts of energy and time with a child um, can be a luxury to someone else yeah. who might be a single mother right. who's working and so you can imagine that's going to create very different yeah. um, tracks for these children. And my question was, how much does that matter? Yeah. And so the data I've looked at is to watch these kids from birth certificate information to five years of age and ask the question, if you're a high or low achiever at kindergarten entry, how much will that matter? Okay. How much does it pay? Going off? forward. Going forward. And I use a different data set to then go forward that tracks kids from kindergarten entry to eighth grade. Okay. And so I have good news and bad news with Uh-oh. this data. Here we go. Uh, the good news is if your kid's average and um, – By the way, most you're looking are. at us. Yeah. This is the average group. This is, uh, the av- <laughs> this is what the average looks uh, like. If you've got an average kid, um, what I find is you can't really predict very well – the, the kinds of achiever they'll be in in math and, and reading at eighth grade. Because they can go either way. Yeah. And so um, they've got a platform to go up yeah. or they, they can slip down. Interesting. Uh, but but this, the stickiness or the, the high correlations are at the highest achievers and lowest achievers. So it's at the extremes. It's probably at, those that get a lot of attention up front and those that don't. Well, another way to look at it is it's no accident that a kid is a high achiever at kindergarten entry. Yeah. That when these researchers come in, give them a standardized test, school year has been um, – is two weeks long and they're taking this test. It's no accident that they, they scored really high on this oh, test. Oh, interesting. And it's no accident that a kid scored really, really low on this test. There's something else going on. Hmm. Um, and I we could talk a little bit about what that something else is, but – um, what I find is the highest achiever and the lowest achiever, 50% of those kids are still in that same top tier or low tier nine years later. At What's, what percent? 60%. 50%. 50%. That's right. So if they come in as a high achiever, they're going, or a high achiever, they're going to stay, have a 50% chance of staying in the high achievement. That's right. If they come in in the low achievement, they're pretty much 50% chance of there. Or 50% of those kids. Of those, yeah. Yeah, we'll stay there. And then I can explain about half of that by just knowing their background. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, the parenting in the home, socioeconomic status, which is another way of saying the mom's education level, the income, and stuff like that. The other half I can't explain, and that's to be expected in research like this. You can't explain all of the world or else mm-hmm. we would just be a variable, variable away from predicting someone's behavior, right? That's right. Um, so, so there's good news and bad news about that. Um, 
but uh, th- this paper, I'm still working on it. It hasn't been published yet. It's been presented a- at a couple conferences, but um, we're hoping to get at some of those mechanisms. So the gist of it is if, if you have helped your child through focus, attention, reading, all that stuff, you've gotten them to a point where they have about a 50% chance of continuing as a high achiever throughout their life. Right. I mean – Or par- throughout their schooling. Uh, yeah, at least up to eighth grade. And then uh, you'd have to make the, the link the that, jump up. that cognitive skills like yeah. math and reading matter. And, oh, and, and that teenage they, puberty they didn't <laughs> just totally knock it all off. Yeah, a lot of kids can fall from grace, right, yeah. um, around that time. <laughs> um, you don't all uh, – you, you can't say much about adulthood right. just by looking at eighth graders. But um, – but I think that tells us a story about how childhood can matter, and it's not as simple as saying it does or doesn't. Right. Is this where, like, like middle class versus – does the socioeconomic status then impact? And does it just impact in yeah. how much time someone's going to have? So I worked with a couple with students, and we presented at the Fulton Conference uh, a couple uh, months ago. And uh, looking at just that, how social class predicts parenting behaviors. And – this was uh, kind of a surprise to me looking at the data. Um, what I tried to see is um, on these really good measures of parenting. So, the, OK, th- this is a mom reading Goodnight Gorilla to, yeah. her, to her child and then and having the child do something that's like just out of their skill set and, and seeing what the mom does when the child's like struggling. Yeah. The mom didn't know that they were doing this. These are videotaped interactions. Ah, Ten thousand. You're trapping them. them. Right. They're <laughs> trapping them. Most most of the social science traps exactly. people, I feel um, but what they found uh, with this measure of parenting was it was highly predictive of the, of the kids' later math and reading. Really? So it's like a really high-quality measure of parenting with national data, which is like crazy to get. Yeah. And uh, what, what I found looking at social class and parenting is the, the more social class you have, higher, higher educated, more income, more yeah. occupational prestige, yeah. you know, better uh, kind of occupation, you um, – it's like a straight line. You, you do better on these kind of parenting behaviors. In those moments when your child's being stretched, what you ha- how you handle that moment. Right. And, and so what the mom's actually doing that, that gives them high scores on this kind of test is the mother's being very sensitive to a child's cues. Hmm. So – and I do this all the time. You can, you can just ram through yeah. a book and say, you know what? I've got a couple other kids i got to read a book to. We're going to get through – sometimes I skip a page and pretend yeah. like it didn't exist. <laughs> They'll never know. Yeah, right. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> what happened to Mr. Moon? <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think how we actually interact with kids and the objectives of interacting with them matter. Yeah. And mothers – these were mothers um, who were sensitive to the child's learning – and their struggles and didn't have this like preset agenda mm-hmm. were the ones that got the highest scores and also had kids that did best on these tests. And so I thought it would kind of cap out a little bit, but there was kind of, there was a linear line. Maybe at the top end, um, the, it, it kind of flattened. But the higher up in socioeconomic status, the more the, likely you were to adopt these behaviors that matter for kids. I mean, that's interesting because you only yeah. would think it's it's the money. Or it's the education. It's a combination it's the, of those it's, things. But it's, yeah. it's a lot, yeah. But what I also found was that the kinds of practices that weren't that predictive of early math and reading skills, it was a flat line. Oh, really? Meaning everyone exhibited these kind of behaviors and there wasn't a class relationship to it. So just normal social interaction Loving stuff. Loving your child. You know, that's, like, that's not dependent on socioeconomic. Yeah. Interesting. Across classes, parents are warm and generous with their children on an equal level. Uh-huh. Um, it's just that... High SES parents or 
parents with a lot of advantage have figured out the kinds of parenting practices that actually predict yeah, early yeah. math and reading. So, yeah. And the ones that don't, they're no different. Isn't that so? That's called socializing. Yes, yeah, we're socializing, socializing right. them to be more social. Right. So. Uh, there's a highly correlated um, question about do you read to your child, do you tell stories, and do you sing songs? Those are kind of like a constellation of behaviors that, you know, if you're singing songs, you're probably telling stories and you're probably reading to your child, right? And so you'd imagine that um, someone who's who's reading to their child would also do those two things. And and reading to your child's probably the most predictive Hmm. of early math and reading. But that's the only one that's related to class. The other two have a flat line. Really? And so it's almost as if those with advantage have figured out and put their energy in those kind of parenting behaviors that matter. Um, Now, that's good news in some ways uh, because parenting behavior hopefully is something that can be um, adopted by anybody. Sure. Um, But it also tells us maybe a darker side that um, some kids get ahead through no fault of their own or, or no effort of their own. And that's by accident of birth. And you're lucky uh, to have a parent that, that picks up on these um, kind of practices that matter and are, are listening to your cues and help you prepare for school. It's, it's just such fascinating information because I think it just – it starts to, I don't know, stretch our minds that a lot of us have been greatly blessed. That's Some right. of this is just random. Some of this is that's right. just luck of the draw. And then I guess it's all – Learnable, so you could come from a lower socioeconomic status, fight through it, get educated, and then right. pick up those same traits that you share down. If you piece all this together, it, it tells us a story to be a little maybe maybe a little bit more comp- compassionate towards children. Yeah, because what we can see is their childhoods matter, and that by accident of birth, uh, their their trajectories can be influenced by mm-hmm. that. And so when we think about problems in America, and I, I started out thinking about crime and deviance. Um, some of that can be linked to things that are beyond an individual's control. Oh, yeah. And um, I don't know how much. Yeah. That'd be another debate. Yeah. But at least in this research agenda, I find myself my, myself being very compassionate for, for these kids who um, are on trajectories that are at the extremes hard to – Well, undo. mental health disorders, um, addictions. I mean a lot of that stuff, it's, it's still fairly random. <laughs> Yeah. Draw what, yeah. what you're going to pick up. Simply look at others. your family, look at your siblings, yeah. and ask where is everybody, and some of it's just random. Man, powerful stuff. We're going to come back with Dr. Ben Gibbs. Here's the question we're going to ask him when we come back. Breastfeeding, does it really matter? Right. Are these kids more likely to be able to do math, science, read, get better educations, better degrees, simply because they're breastfed? We'll be answering that. When we come back, more with Dr. Ben Gibbs from Brigham Young University right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about your child's development what really matters as they're growing up, as they are, you know, as you, as you have time with your child, as you're engaging with your child, that is the topic of today's discussion. And then really what leads to this concept of extreme achievement, uh, those that, you know, higher math skills, higher science skills, those that are, you know, getting, uh, I guess, a little further along in uh, in the world. Dr. Ben Gibbs is joining us. He is the assistant and assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at Brigham Young University. Got his PhD from Ohio State University 
and uh, has been doing a ton of research. One of the areas he's published a lot in is in this uh, the research on, I guess, inequality and is it is it inequality and breastfeeding? Uh, yeah, if you achievement, if you I describe inequality as inequality and achievement, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So trying to see if breastfeeding matters for understanding why kids are ready for school. Now, are, are you sure? Because there's some people that will kill you. <laughs> yeah, I Do not mess this up, man. I, so I don't know. Uh, there's a, a syndicate or, or some publishing yeah. outlet in, in England called uh, The Daily Mail. And uh, they picked up on some of the work I was doing. And and the the, the comments were just amazing. <laughs> uh, one of them actually said, "How I, I am so sick of these social scientists who have no children telling us what to do they have with no our idea children." You have four kids, <laughs> right. yeah, is it, yeah, but you don't breastfeed. Uh, that's true. See? You know, See? When, when I first presented research on this, I was the only guy in the room. Oh man, um, and I was feeling a little bit out that's of place. Right. My my co-author actually um, got me into this research because um, she she's actually a breastfeeding expert. She studied this stuff for years using national data, and we started talking about this data set I have, and uh, and I looked into it. And it turns out we have some pretty good measures of not only breastfeeding but also parenting. Oh, great! And so what I wanted to accomplish was to see is it really breastfeeding that uh, that that accounts for why kids do well. Or is breastfeeding a proxy for something? Excellent. Okay, what did you learn? Well, I'm going to bet it's a proxy. Okay, well, you just said uh, that those Flintstone <laughs> pills you were taking as yes. a child. Let's just imagine that there was some correlational study that showed that moms who gave their kids Flintstone vitamins um, had kids that did better off. And maybe you're an outlier yeah. and you, you ruined the study. But, I am an outlier, okay. but I probably didn't ruin it. But it, it's not hard to imagine that yeah. that could be true. That uh, any mother who's trying to, to Pick up on the latest, yeah. greatest parenting um, strategies um, is probably exhibiting good parenting um, behavior to begin with, right? And so it's not necessarily the Flintstone vitamins, but they're they're a good proxy for the kind of parent that Interesting. would uh, exhibit behaviors that may they not may not even be aware that they're. they're so it's doing. not the behavior, whether it's a whether it's breastfeeding per se or a Flintstone per se. It's That's right. The engagement. So the World Health Organization um, recommends that mothers breastfeed for six months or longer, exclusively. Yeah. That that means no formula, um, and introducing solid foods after maybe uh, three or four months of age. Uh, so let's imagine this perfect scenario where mothers are exclusively breastfeeding. Not all mothers can. Yeah, and that's just and everyone that's, could, and that could that's happen. the case. Uh, these mothers who can are also more likely to respond to their children's cues. More likely to read to their child every night. Interesting. Uh, more likely to show parental warmth. More likely to just uh, stimulate their cognitive learning. Yeah. And so, how do you untangle those two? No, things? you can't. And so, if you were just to look at the data without these high quality parenting measures, sure enough, you would find evidence that breastfeeding does link to early math and reading. Interesting. And when I say early math and reading, I mean like counting, shape recognition, right. knowing which way the the page turns in a book. And so I was able to reconcile these two literatures, the big fight out there about whether or not breastfeeding matters, because in some cases you find that it does, in other cases you don't. And I solved the puzzle by saying, well, let's use a study that actually has high quality parenting. And I show without those measures, sure enough, it looks like it matters. Interesting. But when you include those high quality parenting measures, it doesn't have a relationship. Okay. Well, that's so. For those, that's actually a great answer for those that can't breastfeed, right. but they can engage. That's they right. They can still spend six months holding right. 
taking care of that child the exact same way they would as if they were breastfeeding. And, and there could be something about breastfeeding that, that bonds you with the child yeah, in ways. Yeah, oxytocin, chemistry. That, that creates an, a level of engagement that a mother that's not breastfeeding um, would need to, to find other mechanisms to connect with their child. But right. I wouldn't say that's impossible. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, as you can imagine, uh, we entered into kind of this world of yeah. uh, debate about breastfeeding. And what's interesting is I, I think we live in a world sometimes where you want to pick sides. Oh, yeah. So I was so grateful that we had another study. And the other study shows just how important breastfeeding is for preventing child obesity. Okay. So interesting. So now it makes sense because it's a health issue. It's a health issue. Versus a, a health cognitive outcome. development or a That's development. That's right. But what's interesting about um, what we found there is if you exclusively formula feed, uh, your, your kid's about two and a half times more likely to, to be in the top 10 percentile of weight. Oh, really? And that's uh, – Kind of the, the threshold yeah. they, they they set um, national internationally for child obesity, um, and so you would think you know there must be something about what's in the formula yeah. that's in, increasing children's weight, and, and that could that could still be the case. I'm not entirely certain, but what we're also able to find was mothers who exclusively breastfeed are also less likely to introduce solid foods early hmm. and less likely to put the, the kid to bed with a bottle. And so it's almost like a constellation of feeding practices. Yeah, that's right. And it may not be the actual nutrients in the breast milk, although that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it could be also listening to your child feeding cues. So yeah. we talked about so their learning the cues. cues. Right. Um, in this study, we're focusing on feeding cues. And that's something we can all think more about. Because that's interesting because James can't go to bed without a, uh, a bowl full of pasta. Oh, OK. And well, so I think there's a correlation. Well, he's feeding and I don't himself, know if he was so he needs to listen to his own feeding cues. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? But it is—it's—it's it's almost this attunement. We had John Gottman on, hmm. uh, the big you know marriage relationship guru, and but that's a lot of what he talked about: is this need to get into the space and become attuned yeah. to the cues. That's right, and watch the cues. That's where all the real time probably benefit is taking places in reading cues. And maybe uh, it's our inclination when we're struggling to say that, that that's not enough and yeah. we need a more objective source to right. add. And, and I think there's there's a balance between those two. Sure. I mean, we need to know what our child needs, but we also need to know what yeah. generally General helps guidelines, children. right. But I think we combine those two things. Oh, yeah. And so when you say read to your child every night, make sure you read to your child the way your child needs to be read yeah. to. Be attuned to that cue. Yeah. So when they're bored and they grab the toy... Right. Maybe that book – maybe there's another book you should yeah. think about. or Find a way if, to connect the toy to the book. If they linger and... on a page, just stay there. That's the book you've read, just mm-hmm. that one page. Um, but if they're flying through it, maybe there's something about um, the succession of imagery that they're interested in rather than just dwelling on a page. Yeah. Uh, so we and... can we can use this national um, average um, – um, these average parenting behaviors that matter um, – but if we adapt into their kid, I think that's when we can connect the two. Well, isn't that interesting? Because it seems like cognitively breastfeeding, it's more about the engagement than the feeding. Uh, nutritionally, mm-hmm. it's more about the feeding than the, the engagement maybe even. Or maybe no, you still are picking up the cues. But it seems like every argument could come down to that. Like it's hmm. let them both be. Yeah. It doesn't – you don't have to pick the one – only one true answer. Yeah, I, you know, again, I deal in the world of averages. Yeah. And so um, no average statistics is going to capture your household perfectly. Um, but I, I think we can take a look sometimes and, and say, what is the average kid doing? Right. Um, what is the average parent doing? 
and, and and then ask questions about ourselves. And if we're looking for changing our behavior slightly, I think yeah. that's helpful. It gives us some hope. We're talking with Dr. Ben Gibbs, assistant professor at the Department of Sociology at Brigham Young University. What uh, And he's teaching us just about development, how our children develop, what they need to become healthy, I think, in the, is the ultimate sure. goal of every parent, even if we're average. <laughs> yeah. um, but talk about what, what else What else has kind of stood out as a key learning for you? Like, we, have, we only have about three or four minutes, but what else do parents need to know about their child's development? Because well, there's a million things we should be doing. Yeah, I, I think, um, we, you know, when I look at this data and I look at my children, I can't help doing that. Sometimes the data lines up perfectly with my kids' ages. Yeah. And so it kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> and I sometimes I, I, I don't want to look at the data and say, okay, how bad am I? Right. You know, oh, kind yeah. of thing. Um, I think there is a huge industry out there about parenting advice. Oh, sure. And you are familiar with that, um, given your experience. And and I think we should be aware of that. I think there's something good about that. Um, it, it's, an, it's a mentality of humility yeah. that we don't know all the answers. Um, but I think we need to blend that nicely with a, a quiet self-assurance that if we love our child and we care deeply about them – and we're watching their struggles and their needs, that we can blend what we learn mm-hmm. outside of our home with what we observe inside of our home in ways that works just for you guys. I love that. Yeah. And you're not – don't – just because they don't get everything, just because you do have a different socioeconomic status doesn't mean it's hopeless. It's it's totally connected to, to your ability to connect, to engage, Well, to I, I think there's a societal level responsibility when we think about children in disadvantaged homes to think more compassionately about their lot in life. Sure. But for those that are disadvantaged by, by, by a whole number of um, factors in their life, yeah, I think there are practices that can compensate, just like we've talked about how environment can compensate for biological right, right. potentiality. I think there's things we can do to compensate for an environmental potentiality too. Yeah, yeah. Even as a society. As a society, that's right. Our lot in life is not fixed biologically or environmentally. Right. We can make decisions to adapt and um, make those things less limiting in people's lives. And it seems like no matter what, we all – we could – and we learned this too with your um, with your research with some of the prisoners and in jails and the jail system is we also it's, – it's more complicated than just good, bad. That's right. I mean I, I think um, when you think about parenting, there's – uh, within one individual, good things we're doing and yeah. some things that aren't so good. Um, but I think what I found in this research generally, um, just to kind of wrap up kind of how I think about it, is oftentimes we try to solve problems through the schools. Yeah, We try to th- solve problems through institutions. But when you look at early childhood, children are basically devoid of these kind of second chance interventions, you know, right, or these, right. these, these policy prone kind of um, yeah. uh, places of addressing issues. And so what it does to me is, is focus an attention on a time period that's largely been ignored and puts uh, more light on the role of parents and more light on maybe uh, pr- providing higher quality preschools, higher quality environments for kids that might be without the luxury of, of a great environment. Man. Ben. Dr. Ben Gibbs is his name. And if you want to talk to him about uh, breastfeeding, any comments? Email me, but please be nice. I'm trying to. I think it's brilliant. Somebody's got to do the research. Dr. Gibbs, appreciate you. We're going to have to have you back. You've got a list of research that now I'm absolutely fascinated in. Because I'm trying to figure out James still. Okay. Yeah, we call him late childhood development. (laughs) But good looking. We're taking a break, my friends. Uh, When we come back, more ideas, more tools. 
on uh, child development and what really matters to our children as growing up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you get through life, helping you answer some of the tough questions that, you know, you didn't know. You just We don't know everything when we're born. In fact, very, you know, even today, my, uh, did you just hear someone say, I do? I just heard somebody say, I do. Who said that? Uh, even today, I'm sitting here. Uh, I don't know, probably hour, two hours before the show. Mm-hmm. Why'd you say it that way? You just I just, said, I was you, agreeing with you that you were, you were like, mm-hmm. an hour, an hour or two before the show. You were sitting here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, no. I was sitting in my head. Okay, that I would agree. And uh, maybe in your car, James came up to me, and he just said, "You know, oh, man, Doctor Townsend." He said. Because I only refer to you as Dr. Townsend. Yeah, which I appreciate. (laughs) Yeah. It's very respectful. Well, I think that we should all appreciate, fully appreciate each other's degrees. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I have degrees. (laughs) So if you want to call me Dr. Burtzall, feel free. No. No. Uh, Doctor with a K? Passion. Doctor. Here's the deal. So James is asking me, and Sean, I want to know what you would say. Okay. He's like, you know... I don't have boys, so I don't know. I know, but he's like, you know, no one ever sat me down and gave me the talk. <gasps> Ooh. And I'm the like. The talk? The talk? Is this the, like, sh- the show on CBS? I don't think so. Okay. This is more about the birds and the bees. <gasps> oh, that talk. That talk. And then he's like, really, Matt, like, what do the birds and the bees have to do with it? Don't the birds eat the bees for, for lunch? Yeah. Sometimes. So I, what I did is I sent him, I go, James, you need to go figure this out. And I want you to do a segment on how you should have the talk. And, uh, and I was hoping. I was, what talk are you talking about, Matt? Well, I there's don't a understand. Bunch, well, there's like um, the talk about um, where babies come from. Oh, Remember the one I gave you before your Oh, yeah, that one. Okay. That one. Uh-huh. Sorry. That talk. Ah. So James has been uh, feverishly working to put together notes. So if you're a parent out there and you're driving home, listen up, because he's now going to teach us, as the doctor of Pasión, yep. he's going to teach us about the talk. Yep. And by the way, he just stood up, just so you know. Because, he's well, I, I have to get ready for this, because as the doctor of Passion, I take my responsibility very seriously. So, you know, with with great power comes responsibility. Thank you, Peter. Peter, are we talking to James or Peter Parker? I don't know. Why did you just talk with like a little Spanish accent? Well, I am the have a I do have a PhD in Bastion. Okay. So, anyway, but the I as uh, you know, with my current dilemma of wanting to know about the talk and mm-hmm. everything, I I I really delved into it because yeah. there are a lot of big subjects that we need to Huge. to breach with our parents or if parents need to breach with their kids you know like like the birds and the bees 
finances, death, these really big Huge. subjects that a lot right. of times parents really shy away from it oh, because yeah. it doesn't just make the kids uncomfortable. It makes parents uncomfortable no, too. Right. You know, and so what are, what are some tips that we can learn, some things that we can keep in mind uh, to, to help us, both the kids and the parents out, when we talk about these things that need to be talked about? First tip, you got to talk. Yeah, exactly. That you, helps. You can't let the guys in the locker room do this no. talking. Yeah, assume, especially with death. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it when, when they talk, talk about death, death in the locker, in the locker room. room, and then they whip you with a towel. Yes, <laughs> makes me sick. Okay, James. Yeah, that, that's rough. I remember those <laughs> middle school days talking. No, about I was death. just talking down the hall. Oh, oh, yeah, in our in our locker yeah, room. Don just whipped me with a towel. <laughs> it's so rude. He just got back from the pool. So, um, what do we do? What do we talk about? Well, How do we do this? I think the biggest principle that we, that there is to learn is the fact that it shouldn't be the talk. Yeah, it, this shouldn't be one instance. Where There's like, multiple talks. Exactly. You don't just sit down and be like, "Well, we're going to now breach a subject that we've never yeah. uh, even wanted to talk about until this very day." And you know, is that you, you should have an open dialogue yeah. for. for uh, you know, throughout their lives. Well, you've done it when they were a child. You're like, these are your private parts, and these are parts that nobody touches. This you've already had a lot of these talks. Then I just noticed around eight. Yeah, it's eight. All of my kids. I have a I have a little bigger conversation where I just take them out. They all they all know about it, and I let them in on a really big secret. That they've all heard about. They hear about it from their friends, and their friends say the word sex, and mm-hmm. I let them in on the secret. I'm going to tell you about sex. And they look at me like, oh, boy. But oh, I usually don't tell <laughs> yeah, them that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't tell them that until I've got That's them in the car. That's usually the reaction to and, and so we're, Oh, no. We're pulling, I go, hey, do you want a hamburger? And we pull into a place. And then I sit them down. I'm like, hey, I wanted to let you in on a secret. Here's the deal. And it's really cool. Yeah, and, and there's things you can do to dispel that awkwardness yeah. that is is going to be there. It's, right. it's it's hard to dispel it completely. But, I mean, like, get a burger. Go yeah. play catch. You know, do yeah. do something that's going to help. You know, ease the tension that's going to be there. By the way, I every child, wherever I end up talking to them and giving them the supposed talk, I've ruined that place for them. <laughs> None of them have ever wanted to eat there Never again. Never again. I know my kids hate it when I bring up the, the finance thing. They yeah, just can't I, I think, stand I think it. You're, I think we're talking about a different talk. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, well, and, and so keeping the open dialogue um, is you, you have to really find out from your kids – what do they understand? So ask right. a lot of questions and listen. Yeah, so what are you hearing about this? Exactly. You've heard I'm sure you've heard your friends say sex. Have you heard that before? Yeah. What do you think that means? What what are they saying about it? So yeah. instead of emphasizing so much of talking 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 about it and giving information, maybe there should be some more listening uh, love on, it. on what they what they're hearing and what they already know yeah. uh, about the subjects that you're talking about. You know, about. a cool psychology about that is the more they talk, it tends to dispel emotion. And their energy. So mm-hmm. it actually gets some of that tense energy out of them, and then you can go in for the kill, yeah. hypothetically. Well, well and, and uh, once again, going back to the, to the younger ages, Dr. Phil actually suggests that, um, that you can start even before s- six years old, you know, when oh, they're yeah. really, really young. He says that w- around the time when you're teaching them proper manners and when to say thank you is also the time – around there and when you should start talking about sex. But of course, you're going to do it age appropriately yeah. and, and but the the he stressed and a lot of other professionals as well stressed the fact that you know, you you need to be abstract according to the age, but abstraction is not 
metaphorical. Right. So don't say like, oh, yeah, there's this stork involved yeah. and the stork brings the baby. Because then the kid's just going to be ultra confused no, totally. about what really happens. Yeah. You know, and Whenever so, my kid sees a pelican, they think the baby's being delivered. I have another sibling? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so, and so be truthful. Be straightforward. Um, use their use their age appropriate language, but don't don't make it about some weird animal. Yeah, don't ever take your kids to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. Oh, totally, <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> That's so true. Babies everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and so and kind of going over to the, to the money aspect of thing, talking about finances. Um, you know, it's it, one reason why parents don't like talking about finances to their children is because parents don't feel comfortable with their own financial oh, sure. practices. You know, yeah. and so how can they possibly uh give this information to their children yeah. when they aren't don't feel comfortable themselves with their finances. By the way, that's and I think that's a core or a key to all of these discussions. You have to know what your own values are. Yeah. So that's what's cool is you can talk about sex and you can talk about finances and you can talk about death their entire life. Because you can talk about it in relation to your value system. So we as a family value that we're not going to have sexual relations with people until we're married. And we, and we value that. And then you can kind of tell it, teach it as a value system when they're younger. And then when they're a little older and more age appropriate, you can start to explain what sex is more. And then you can even explain when they're older why it's so important and what we need to watch out for. And you can start – you can do it all age appropriately. But if you tie it to values – there's always going to be an entree. There's always going to be something you can talk about. Yeah, and so whether you're going to talk to them about sex, money, or death, there are common principles in all of these subjects that you need to have an open dialogue with your children. You know, if you if you haven't done it already, it's never too late. Right. You know, but don't do it all at once. Yeah. But open up the door where your children will feel comfortable talking to you about whatever subject that they can come to you with totally. questions, you know, and and always have that honor honesty with your children. I I I've heard this. I mean, I've talked about this before, but I did have a guy on his wedding night, the night before, actually the night before his wedding, um, comes over to my house terrified because he hadn't had the talk yet, and I sent him home last time I had met with him with the idea that he would go talk to his dad and his dad would give him the talk. But his dad didn't dare give him the talk. Anyway, I shouldn't expose too much about Aaron. But um, <laughs> but what was cool about it, though, it actually wasn't Aaron. But I had the privilege of giving him that talk, and I actually found it a great privilege. But I also found it sad that his dad hadn't, or his mom. Somebody could have connected with him and made it a really special thing. Uh, I did it with my my daughter, I'm the one that got to give our talk to the, my daughter. And anyway, and then the talk when she got married and I got to pick them up after their honeymoon oh, and great. have that talk. Anyway, it doesn't need to scare us, does it, James? No, it doesn't. And it doesn't scare you anymore. So you don't even have any questions anymore. Well, I might still have some questions, but I'm not afraid to ask See, them. See, that's right. That's and so, I yes, yes, I, we will have that meeting after the show. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Good stuff. Well done, James. You are the PhD of Passion. We're going to take a break. When we come back, who better than Meg Conley to walk us through the difficult topics of life? Meg will be discussing how to instill a sense of wonder into our children. Child development, that's what we're talking about on the show today. Up next, Meg Conley from Meg in Progress. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody, Meg Conley. <laughs> hey, guys. What's up? How are you? Good, how are you? Meg Conley has a website, meginprogress.com. Yeah. That's it. She's, a, she's an alleged writer. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding. She, That's what people tell me. But you have, you're a mother with two kidlets. Yep. Zoo, zoo. And Viola. Zuzu and Viola. Viola. And you know, Matt. You know. I knew that. Please. They're so adorable. Husband Riley. And here's the deal. You just gave us almost some good news today. Yeah. I made you guys green chili burritos. And then I left them at home. And they, so we're going to eat them for dinner well, tonight. Well, they sounded delicious. They were so delicious. Oh, oh. And before we go any further, my mom listened to the show last Did week. She? Your the mom. first time ever. Did she, Really? I've been on a year. <laughs> It's her deal. She's just very cool. But um, she's got a life. She's got a lot going on. But she was very upset that I made it sound like my mismatched wardrobe had anything to do with her tutelage. Oh, that's true. Because she yeah. said, "Well, no, no. Like I wear a Chanel number no. five and stilettos, mm-hmm. and and you never match. Yeah. And and those two things. No. And so she wanted me to clear that up I on air. It. What's her name? That she Kim Conley. Kim Conley. That, um, and I quote, "I taught you better than that." No, Kim. And so and yes. so. We just wanted to make sure I that, 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 that that got taken care of. Now, let's get that off the table right now. Uh, I <laughs> Just so Kim's listening and, and she knows, I never once uh, blamed <laughs> Meg's personality on you. Ever. I, I know she's listening because she said that if no. I didn't talk about it on air, she's going to start emailing you to make sure that yeah. you knew no, no, that Kim. she wasn't involved. Kim, I know. <laughs> Kim, uh, Meg is way bigger than all of us. Her problems cannot be attributed to you. So I got that off my list. Mm. <laughs> We're good to go, Mom. Your mom is the bomb. <laughs> yeah, she's And great. your dad is the bomb. Yeah, he's great. He's just sitting up there in heaven just waiting. You know what? I, I know what he's doing. What? He's trying to, like, corner a fashion expert angel. <laughs> could you please go down? That he could send down to you. Help my daughter. Yeah. I guarantee he I think is. he's eating green chili burritos. I bet that's where ours so, are. Yeah. How come? No, that's an interesting psychology. Why would you tell us you made them? Then well, not bring them, well, but felt, then tantalize our taste I felt, buds. I felt badly about it because I, I made them this morning and I was like, I will heat these up before mm-hmm. I go. And then, you know, Facebook. And then I and then I forgot. Oh, yeah. Facebook. And then, and then I, was, I was leaving. I was in the car, you know, five minutes from my house. Sh- I was like, in shoot. the Lexus. Shoot in the in the in the two thousand four Lexus, and, yeah, and, and I. But I want you guys to know I'm thinking about that, you. It's nice that. to know that you, like it's a thought that counts, yeah. right? No, absolutely. Like not the actual food. I, uh, so. and, I and I didn't I didn't tell you this, but um, I did uh, get you a raise. So now I'm making like double zero. No, it was a real. You were going to be truly compensated, but then I forgot. To formally sign it. Sure. And so they said, we and can't even like look a... at it. It's every five years. Sure. <laughs> it's every five years we look at the contracts. And your contract is now not going to be up for another five years. Oh, that is rough. Anyway, but I guess it's the thought that really counts. That is the thought that really counts. <laughs> hey, um, kids, you have a couple. Yeah. And this is the subject of the show is so great. Is it? Yeah. Have so you been fantastic. Listening? I've gotten like little snippets yeah, here Yeah, you there. haven't, have you? I, I, I have. You don't I get had... it in the 2004 <laughs> Lexus, I understand. You know what? I started streaming it from my computer, mm-hmm. 
And then um, I got caught up in the business of parenthood uh, and was unable, <laughs> was unable to continue. Okay, I get it. But I do love what you guys are talking so teach, about so today. So teach us what – because this says you're going to discuss instilling the sense of wonder. Yes, into our children. In, into our children. Yes. It seems like my children already have a sense of wonder. They're I, always – Wondering, <laughs> they're always wondering, right? Well, okay, but there's some truth to that, right? Mm-hmm, totally. But I think that at a very early age, we start um, picking the wonder out of our children. Oh yeah, we instead beat, we, of we making it a permanent thing, we yeah. do, right? Yeah. And you know, before I was a mom, I had all these like you know grandiose golden visions of what my parent my parenting would look like. Sure. And basically, it was Mary Poppins with more chocolate. Like it was kind of what I was thinking. Really? Okay. Right. Like yeah. something along those yeah. lines. Like we're always learning. We're always singing. Yeah. Life is beautiful. Let's jump in a painting. Tea and crumpets. Yes, I you guess. got it. Like yeah. Sophia, I guess. <laughs> Cleaning chimneys. Sure, sure. Good work ethic, and so and chocolate on top of it. But all. then I had my my first baby and Zuzu. Zuzu and you know, you get through the newborn thing and you get into the actual raising of a child thing. And I just realized she was kind of just watching a lot of TV mm-hmm. and there were some days or there were some days where I really tried to do something, but it just didn't work out sure. or, and it was, it was much more um, difficult than I had ever anticipated. Or Facebook came. Sure. Sure. Listen, I mean, Listen, I gotta know what's going on with those cat memes. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like, what's happening there? By the way, if you want to know anything about a cat meme, James. Really? James? I don't know. He's the he's. I that think kind of doesn't surprise West me. of the Mississippi, nobody has more cat memes well, okay, or cat-related quotes. Really? Than James? You, yes, affirmative over there. So, what's the cat where like the cat will say like, "Oh, that's much interesting." You know those cat memes? You know what I'm talking about? LOL cats? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So I like those. Those are yeah, funny. Nyan Cat as well, of course. Nyan Cat. I'm not sure. You're what not that familiar is? with Nyan Cat? No. The Pop Tart Cat that has the Pop-Tart rainbow. Cat. It's yeah. only the greatest uh, video I've never on seen that YouTube. In my life. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You, you need to look commercial at it. Commercial break. I guess we know what we're yeah. doing. Yeah, exactly. Break. That's fantastic. Pop Tart Cat, we call that. So I decided <laughs> that, that if my children are going, <laughs> were going to have wonder in their lives, and if I was going to embrace the wonder that was already there, I had to start doing it deliberately yes. and intentionally. And it had to be easy or else I wasn't going no, to do it. That's me too. I mean, we need to Let's know ourselves, right? Right, right? Okay. And so um, I have one friend where she actually does like this fairy hunt every year and it's very elaborate. Hold it. And, We're hunting fairies? Well, like in, <laughs> not like with a gun, like you're searching. It's a fairy search. So it's not like Deer Hunter 2014. No, it's no, like no. fairy hunter Bam. 2014. No, yes, yes. It's, it's friendly. But like she makes the fairies and the clothes mm. and like create. I mean, it's amazing, but it's like, it's like, I don't, 80 man hours to get this like hunt wow. going, right? Yeah. But it's phenomenal. Let's not call it a hunt. So... <laughs> I think you're just thinking fest. about the word too literally. Festival. Like, I'm hunting for my keys. A fairy festival, sure. But they yeah. go search and the fairies are like hidden all over the place in the neighborhood. It's amazing. And then you shoot them. Yep. You just bring them home and you make them for supper. Mm. That's how it works. But but listen, I'm probably never going to do that. You won't do that. Like, I, no. I couldn't. You, I couldn't I, do that. No, you wouldn't do I that. I don't have that. That's not uh-huh. my skill set, right? No. So, so I had to find ways that we could um, incorporate this into our everyday lives along with, you know, maybe 45 minutes of TV what? or so. Give us an, 45 minutes for them or you? Both. <laughs> okay, so that's an hour and a half sure. television break. Sure, why not? Yeah, I okay, need that. Okay, so, so one of the things is like just get outside. Yeah. Like go on walks. And I think that this is super important because, you know, I'll take my daughters on walks and um, 
even when it's blazing hot outside, we'll go because it's a time away from all distraction. And I want my daughters to understand how to have a conversation with me because as they get older, that skill set is going to be really important when they have important questions, when there are dilemmas in their lives, when they've maybe messed up and I need to be the person that they talk to. So we need to teach our kids how to have a conversation with us. So the way that I've been doing that is we go out and we tell stories to each other. And so this is twofold. It teaches my kids how to communicate with me and it also teaches them the glory of storytelling. I love that. It's really great. Well, and you could follow their lead. See, because they're not probably going to want to walk around 20 blocks. Sure. No. They're right. just going to want to, you know, putz around some neighbor's yard. Well, and that's and that's what it ends up being a lot of that's time. Cool. And it's great because if you change your environment a little bit, the stories change because kids are going to change it. a little bit by environment, right? And so, that's a so great idea. right there, like there is some wonder. What wow. would you do if they're older? I'd still go on walks, and would maybe you? and maybe it's just a natural conversation at that we, point yeah. about about what they're learning or. Yep. I loved when my parents would share the things that they were learning with me. And so hopefully as they get older, I get to tell them about, you know, the amazing book on astronomy that I'm reading. Yeah. And, then, or, and then we communicate when you were on that the Matt way. Townsend show. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Margaret keeps asking me to come back. Let's have yeah. Margaret come on back. She's like, when do I get to go to the show? Kill me like, right well, we have, right we have to wait now. till Maddie's done with her. Um... Uh, we'll get Margaret tickets. Perfect. Perfect. She can just sit right there. (laughs) But she didn't come in. For some reason, she didn't want to come in. No, no. She just wanted to stay in that little box thingy. But, But, you know, James, I don't know if you heard, but we know James can give her the talk. Uh, yeah, that was that was impressive. Maybe we could maybe when she came, we could give her the talk. Sure. You know, she's five. You guys aren't related to her her or like people that she knows at all. Okay, good point. (laughs) Maybe we could listen to you give her the talk. Yeah. Also creepy. That's also really a creepy, creepy. suggestion. <laughs> I'm just trying to integrate the whole show. But that's a cool idea. Go on walks. Right. So and, just, but then let them create. Like let them right. get them talking, get right. them sharing. Right. So go also go on truth-seeking adventures. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Truth-seeking adventures? Yes. Okay. You might have to hold this one. Okay. <laughs> truth-seeking adventures. Yes. Um, this is different than the fairy hunt. Yes. This is where we're going to go search for truth. Yes. Like principles? Well, sometimes, yeah. It's it's, a, it's, it's exciting, but so I'll wait on it. Are we not going to it? the mall? Well, could I we guess find truth at the mall? Sure, you could find, like, there are esoteric ways that you could you could make that fit, absolutely. Man. Okay, so we're, so, we, we're going to have to come back and okay, talk about we'll truth wait on that one. searching journeys. What are you calling Adventures. Them? Adventures. Yeah. Okay, Meg Conley in the house, sporting a bohemian gypsy like look today. <laughs> Thanks to her mother, Kim. <gasps> Don't you Just say kidding, that. Kim. I'm in so much trouble. Kim, we understand. You had nothing to do with this. You did not dress your daughter. Uh, apparently, <laughs> some gypsy from Poland did. <laughs> We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back with Meg Conley right after this. back, friends. The lasers are shooting Meg Conley. They're shooting all of the paisleys dead on Meg's clothes. <laughs> no paisley, roses, and polka dots. Okay. <laughs> I stand correct. Apparently last week we killed all the paisleys. So uh, Meg Conley in the house from the website Meg in Progress. Yes. 
where she purports to be a writer. Yep, that's what I pretend to be. You are an incredible writer. Thank you. And you write on womanhood, motherhood, and all things hood. Yeah, basically if it ends in a hood, I write about it. So, and and people are mostly nice about what I write. Sometimes they're not. Uh, uh, Just a little FYI, once again, this just in Kim Conley, the mother of (laughs) Meg Conley, disavows any connection to Kim or to Meg and her wardrobe. In no way, shape, or form. It's true. Do any of Meg's outfits resemble or uh, what's it called? Um, reflect right anything, any of the values no, or beliefs of right. Kim Conley. You know, in fact, I was over at her house yesterday because we're helping her move. Yeah. And I was wearing this dress that I got at a vintage shop, and it's like Sag Harbor. No, it's Liz Claiborne, circa like 1992-ish. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were huge back sure, then. Sure, yeah. And and she just looks me up and down. She's like, <laughs> I'm going to take you clothes shopping. Because <laughs> it's just... That's great. Let, but let it, really, it really works out in my favor at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, because she'll right. pay. Yeah, sure. See, I used to do that, too. Like, if I would just embarrass my mom enough, she'd give me whatever I want. Right, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, so that's great. So you were before the break, you were going to... To talk to us about um, what you call them, journey- Im- immersing yourselves oh, yeah. in truth-seeking adventures. Truth-seeking adventures. Yes. Okay. You, okay. By the way, uh, I wish you would do this with the IRS because they're <laughs> in a major scandal right now. I know that's true, and See, we could go there. We could. They're working to destroy thirty like thousand more hard drives don't, or something. Crazy don't like mention. That. The, don't don't mess with the IRS. I know they're terrifying. Yeah, but also so sweet. Hey guys. Hey, hey, love, send out our love. Um, yeah, so they, the IRS may be a lost cause, but thankfully your children are not. Yes. And I think... Truth-seeking. So we're here, so I feel like the whole purpose of our life is to discover truths. Yes. Right? To discover truths and apply them to our spiritual and physical selves for our well-being and progression. Hmm. Okay? And so I think that sometimes we're shocked by how difficult it is to accumulate these truths. I mean, it takes work. It takes a creative mind. Yes. It takes an um, an open heart. And so, and so I think that it is a learned attribute rather than something that is necessarily innate. And so we have to teach our children yes. how to find truth. And there is nothing more wonderful mm. than truth. Like That's right. fabulous, no, totally right? And a little principle or a little concept or yes. every day there's something. Right, exactly. And so and so um I think that we have to teach our children how to seek things that are um that, that are true, how to seek facts, knowledge, and um and so one way to do that, for example, I'm I'm homeschooling this year. Are you? And so yeah. Homeschooling yes. your children pre kindergarten. Nope, in kindergarten. it's it's her kindergarten year. Okay. I'm homeschooling. Oh really? I you're gonna like start them out this way. I feel like you're judging you're gonna, me. Back. You're gonna start him out this as way. soon as I said okay. it, I was yeah. like, take the words back. Take the words back. <laughs> no, no, no. We, I, don't, you did, I don't know if you heard our earlier guest talking about really how important that big kickoff is. <laughs> anyway, no, it's not a big deal. There's a, there's a chance. There is a chance they can catch up. Listen, so one thing that we're going to do is the month of September yeah. is going to be dinosaur month. Oh, yeah. Okay, We've got so a lot of dinosaurs around Utah. We do, right? There's a lot of good resources for that. So we're going to learn about different dinosaurs. Um Every week, learn about their habitats, like their um, eating habits, and then we're going to go to there's several local museums that have an, a myriad of things about dinosaurs, and we're going to go there, and we're going to learn about the dinosaurs. Okay, so 
you think, well, it really just sounds like you're going to museums. Yeah, you're just like, going to hold a plastic dinosaur and sure. say, okay, let's go get ice cream. Sure. Well, well some, some days that is exactly yeah, what that's, will happen. That's the that is exactly right. <laughs> Mama but, needs ice cream. But, but um, does my voice get deeper? Yeah, I don't when know. I, like, and you're talking like a pirate. <laughs> so, you may not but, have noticed that. But, yeah. but what, I'm, what I'm teaching my children is about gathering knowledge, okay? okay and cool. that And that when you focus, you can focus on one, um, one thing that you want to learn. So whether it's, I want to know more about dinosaurs. I want to know more about charity. I want to know more about my purpose for being here. You you focus in on it and you you make it a comprehensive effort. And that is something that can be enlightening, but it also can be fun. That's cool. And so you teach your kids. I mean, I know it sounds silly, right? No, but that's like, great. Why, why do we need to know more about like T Rex? But we're teaching them a very important principle along like knowledge, the way. Learning truth. Right. Right, and, and seeking truth. And so I love then that. hopefully, again, as they get older, they're well-trained in this seeking of truth and knowledge, and um, it doesn't frighten them. They feel empowered. I love they it. Under- and that, that's, again, like so much, so much more wonder in your life if you can approach it that way. Define wonder. I ah. think, ah, yeah, to stand, um, to stand all amazed. And I love and that. we should all we should all feel that way more often. But um, I mean, I mean, we go outside and we're like, it's cloudy, right? You have no idea. I mean, you're on a huge globe, right? Spinning, right? You could be sucked off at any time and float <laughs> through the vacuum of space, and yet you're like, except for gravity. But well, yeah. no, but gravity <laughs> could cease tomorrow. You don't know. Sure, we don't know anything about gravity actually. No, but you're like, it's cloudy. Sure. My day's ruined. Right. But what do kids do when they go outside? They they run barefoot in the grass. They yeah, yeah. they blow dandelions. They touch things. Yeah. They ooh, they awe. They play in the gutter. Okay, that's great Sean though. Says. Sometimes they play in the gutter. Yeah. That's so great. I mean But that's wonder. Right. That is wonder. It's gross, but it is wonder. But but I think that I think that that is comes to our third and I think most important point is the way to instill wonder in your children is to participate in their wonder with them. Mm. And so and so my, you know, five year old will go outside and like start twirling. Well, I just twirl with her like you have to validate their wonder because what happens Mm. is if we don't validate their wonder, then um, they'll start tamping it down because they feel like it's not grown up. Why am I the only one twirling? Or it's embarrassing or um, it's it's trivial and it's yeah. not the greatest discoveries in life whether it's love or penicillin have all um at their source have a foundation of wonder oh true and so we're not going to move forward without it that's right and you know so, that when they're when they're about 18 you're going to need to stop the twirling <laughs> i still twirl i know that, that like let's just say you worked at mcdonald's and you were a twirler sure sure you're gonna you're gonna have fries all over the place right well i guess you know twirling has its place also, okay, there you go. Right. So. Yeah. So but I think um, I and I think that as we're instilling this wonder into our children, we'll have a refresher course in it ourselves because it is mind blowing to me, like you're saying, to go out into the world. And I'm constant. So I live in this little town right here. That's L- like little town of Provo. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. the name. Yeah. <laughs> it's I a hundred something thousand people. It's tiny. <laughs> It's tiny compared to I what mean, I... No, compared to New York or whatever, sure. Well, and I'm from Southern California. Like, this oh, is yeah. pretty, like, small town, right? Yeah. I was, like, it trying has, to think, where's the little town you it live has, in? Provo's so tiny. It is tiny. It is tiny. They have a downtown, like, that has, like, a cobbler. Like, it's very tiny. It's yeah. cute. A cobbler right next to a Nordstrom's. There is no Nordstrom in Provo. Oh, isn't there? No. Lies. You're, I, <laughs> I'm from the big city. Yeah, you're from Draper. the big city. 
<laughs> but okay, go on, go on, it's go on. easy to become bored with a place like oh, this. Oh, sure. It's easy to feel like. But that's what? you, right? That, that's what you're saying. That's right, just, it's a me well, problem. Yeah, and you. so I've, this is so silly, but I've started walking outside and I pretend that I'm just visiting for the first time. And the place that I live is really beautiful because you're laughing at I'm not me. laughing, but I can just see you do it. <laughs> well, hello. My name is Gladys. I'm new. I'm from New Zealand. <laughs> Is that my New Zealand I don't accent? Know. Top Gladys, of the morning to have you. you ever met me? I don't know. I'd at least be like a Clarissa or something. Clarissa. Clarissa. <laughs> no, but think about it. When you're driving, we just took this long road trip to New Mexico, mm-hmm. okay? It was beautiful. The light is different there. Is this there. where you bought the chili yeah, stuff but, the chili? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd love to taste yeah, that. Yeah, that would be super great. That'd be great. <laughs> the light is different there. The, the colors are more vibrant. Oh, yeah. But... But is it really, or is it just because it was foreign to me? And so when I come home and I see my home, my town with those new eyes, Mm -hmm. it does it does give me a sense of wonder and a sense of um, okay, I can keep doing this for one more day. And at the end of the day, that's what wonder does for your life. It's that's it. It seems like you have to connect to like the spirit of it all. Absolutely. The light. The the. Yeah, because then it—that's what I guess is inspiration, right? So then, then all of a sudden you're you're in awe, you're inspired. Right. Now the spirit's in you, and it would seem new anywhere you went. Right, absolutely, absolutely, and so and so it's a blast. And that's those cool. are super easy things to do with your kids. And yeah. reading—I know I say this all the time. You always go to reading. I always talk about reading. But if you read with their kids, you will teach them about a world outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, reading will take you to the bottom of the ocean, and then you can have a tea party on a cloud with a bunny. I mean, reading is amazing and expands mm. your horizons. There's nothing totally that will agree. instill wonder as quickly as beautiful books for children. Not even rock and roll music. Well, what kind of rock and roll? Like maybe. Not the Beatles. The Beatles are lame. <laughs> Whoa. There just went half of our audience. <laughs> we have a really high uh, contingent of um, Beatles fans. Is that a focus group that mm-hmm. you guys have done? That was one of our focus groups. No, here's the thing. The Beatles aren't lame. I like them. I think they're overrated. Subtle difference, but still, do you see what I'm saying? Maybe I ought to just shut I mean, your mouth for a Led minute. Zeppelin, that's that's real music. Like those are real innovate, innovators. Um, like Robert Plant, talk about wonder. Am I right? Come on, ladies. You know I'm right. <laughs> there are no ladies here. I don't know who you're talking to. They're listening. They're not yeah. in their heads in their cars. Actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that was that was wonderful, wonderful, fantastic. You made a pun. No, you really? So I mean. Again, Meg, you're the only one that would think I've got to go find wonder. I mean, you're the only one that, that that's your topic, that you nailed that. I'm I would so never glad. have gone there. Really? It was beautiful. Well, hopefully that's a good thing and not a bad thing. Well, it was. For your for your final show, that was incredible. Oh, no. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> that's funny. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, Sean's got something. Don? Don what? Our, yeah. You know, Don? Boss? Yeah. Guy? Big fan of the Beatles. Don the boss. Just overrated, Don. Not like horrible. Have you ever seen him wear his tight Beatles suit with the really skinny tie? He could pull that off. Oh, he does. He does pull it off. Yeah, he could really pull that off. I hope yeah. he does wear that. I hope that's and a real thing. He's got glasses from the 50s, I think. They're like a lot like mine. They're sure. Really, they're sporty. <laughs> they're hip. Sporty 50s glasses. Segment's going downhill, Matt. <laughs> That's what I've been thinking the whole time. No, really, that was I really think that was fantastic. Thank you. Well, and it's easy. If it's not easy, I'm probably not going to do it. Well, that's so. it. Yeah. So what's neat is let's just call this the art of lazy wonderment. 
I love that. That's a book. Write that book, Matt. Hold on, write that down. Yeah, write that down. Art of Lazy Wonderment. Yeah, I like that. Um. Okay. He's writing it down. By the way, did you there hear? Did you hear? Tomorrow is a date. There's a date uh, with Maddie and James. What? They're going on a date. Are you really? Mm-hmm. James, you dog. Pretty sure there might be a kiss. Oh, Maddie's a lady. That's what we heard. <laughs> Anywho, are you sticking around? You know it. Okay, um, because we're talking about childhood games, and you know we thought you'd be perfect. Because <laughs> I'm so childish. Ish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Meg Conley, thanks. Go to her website, meginprogress.com, where she's still in progress. One day, yep. it'll be Megan completion. <laughs> Sounds weird, but that's the next iteration. <laughs> this is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about, uh, well, we just talked about wonder. <laughs> and uh, now we're going to talk about childhood games. Okay, great. Because everybody growing up had a favorite childhood game. Mine right. sounded like this. Red Rover. <laughs> Red Rover. I've never heard of this game. Send the Bohemian Gypsy <laughs> right over. You sure it wasn't? It. Red Rum. Red Rum. Red Rum. Red Rum. <laughs> That's murder backwards. Yeah. No, I got that. Okay. I was yeah. just trying to catch you up. <laughs> hey, um, so I guess we want to talk about childhood games. That was I really didn't play Red Rover, Red Rover. You didn't I play did. it? I mean, we did, but I, that wasn't. Like I, you refused to play? You were like too know. good for it? Well, you know, you get to a point where you can outrun well, everybody. I, I also <laughs> thought I never got to that segment. point. What, what's the difference? Because, I mean, you have younger kids now. Right. I, my kids are, I mean, they're my youngest is nine. Yeah, me too. So... Do the kids play out in the street anymore? Um, with parents watching, like I'll sit on the front stoop Holy and the kids yeah. play out out in the front yard. Really? See, because yeah. what for for me it was mom going outside. See ya. If it, if we had a summer storm, oh yeah, we'd go we'd go ride the gutter. Yes, down like ten blocks mm-hmm. through the streets. Buses passing us. See ya. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Our parents didn't care. Back then, you could get maimed. You could get whatever. My kids are little too, though. I mean, they're five and they're five and two, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking more like eight. eight, By five, I had my own job. Right. Very Dickens up here. Lisa, may I have some more? Yeah, you're making nose rags. (laughs) No. Handkerchiefs. No. (laughs) That was rude. I was making. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Minimum wage? <laughs> I was making signs uh-huh. in a sweatshop oh. for my father. You got wow. a quarter for every sign you made? No, I was always cleaning up. Wow. At the age of five. It's not really a game. Kind of ruined the game talk, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Well, my favorite game was digging holes. I didn't get paid for it, though. Hole digger. <laughs> Probably Some... got in trouble for it. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. they used to call you ferret? Yeah, my my. No one has ever called mom lovingly referred to me as ferret constantly. Really? I thought it was the ferret that kept digging the hole in the backyard. Well, that's why I kept blaming it on. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's that f- ferret. Yeah. And your so friend she the ferret. ferret. Yeah. He had a friend ferret that didn't exist. Wow, Th- this has gone deep. I no, was not expecting this. Peak luckily, of your childhood. we we had a big field behind our house, so it was never in the yard. Yeah, so. that's good. Did you? Okay, we had a field, and one of my favorite games was called 
kill the mouse. And because we'd have mice, field mice in our house. And I was the only man at the age of five. And so I had to hunt them down, kind of like the fairy hunt. Sure. And I would go kill a mouse. I would play the game Get a Cat. Yeah. I was allergic. I'm allergic to cats. Oh, me too. That's rough. For for kids that are growing up, probably the best toy, I guess, quote unquote toy that you can get them is a huge field behind the house. Oh, yeah. Because I think there are a few things that are more adventurous yeah. and yeah. all the discoveries you can have in a it gives field. gives you a sense of freedom. Yep. I agree. Like, yeah. I remember there was a, this big granite rock in the field that behind my house that I, you know, I was apparently obsessed with money. My favorite color was gold when I was a kid. Sure. Mm. Anyway, yeah. so I went to the granite rock with a hammer because I saw sparkly things in it. I was like, there's gold in that rock. You're like, I got so it. I was mining that rock. That's amazing. For the long time. Yeah, it was great. I had a dirt bike path in my field, so I had to figure out how to get my dirt bike over my fence to get into the field. So when my mom was gone, I just cut the fence. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then she came home that night, and the whole fence was broken. Yeah. And Did then, you use a saw at least? No, just these really big – I think they're actually tree cutters, but I ruined those too. Yeah, right. But again, I just said, you know, I guess that's why you don't leave your kids home, Mom. Right. Like, right. I guess that's what happens to latchkey kids, Yeah, huh? she felt really bad. Thanks a lot. Yeah. But, Thanks you a lot. Yeah, we, 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 that's true, the field. All you need is a field. See, but those are the days. Nowadays you need or a, a Game Boy. No, or a stick. a stick. No, my kids still like play outside. Do they? Yeah, yeah. sure. Well, you're just I sitting mean, on the porch. I sit on the porch and watch them. You know, because yeah. I love them. You do. I want them to live. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we lived. We lived. It's just different now. It just, unfortunately, and I know that people say, oh, every generation is different, but I can't send my five year old around the neighborhood to well, play. Well, no, you can't. But you can but send her in play. your backyard. She, yeah, she goes in the backyard too. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen in your backyard? Yeah, well, there's like an alley right behind our backyard okay. where cars drive by. So a drive-by. So a drive-by <laughs> is the worst thing that could happen in your But I just backyard. I just go out. It's not a big deal. I just go out with a book and I sit and watch them and they play. And But but a shovel. Like my kids usually just need a shovel. A my big be- shovel? Sometimes. Okay. My I had a best friend and she had a creek in her backyard growing up. So we just yeah. played in the creek all See, the time. To me, that that's, my wife wouldn't have that. That's danger zone. A creek? Yeah. You're up a creek. <laughs> Without a paddle. <laughs> Shoot. No, because you could drown. You could drown. Yeah, but you know, here's the thing. <sighs> Putting your kid in the car is the most dangerous thing that you do for them every single day. Not my kids. Your kids are <laughs> your kids put themselves into more. We do we do a lot of other things <laughs> that are more dangerous. When Just I was think- a kid, I was on the roof of my house every summer. Yeah, but see I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of um, climbing on the roof. Of parenting that allows kids to test boundaries a little bit. I think that's a good thing. I do too. So in a few years, do your kids ride bikes yet? Yeah, yeah. On okay. like, in a few years, absolutely. Also, how, how you long know, would you let them go on their bike in a few years? It would depend on our neighborhood. Like right mm-hmm. now, our neighborhood is it's like this cute little 1920s bungalow neighborhood, right. but then it's kind of flanked on either side by maybe not the best by gang areas alleys. Well, one, one side, yeah, and so really? and so we. So I think it's important to keep an eye on them. If yeah, I was in a different good. situation, I think it's case by case. But if you want to drop your kids off in my neighborhood, I'll, I'll drop them off with my Lexus. <laughs> Just have your chauffeur or your nanny drop them right off in my neighborhood. How many hours a day though would you ride your bike in, in oh, summer? Oh man, all day. When you weren't at the sign shop. Oh yeah, I drive it to the. I'd ride it to the sign shop, and then he'd give me a seven minute lunch. Did you really make signs? I worked for my dad in the summer because my parents were divorced, so yeah. my I could go to work and be watched by my dad. Sure. So, sure. 
And then he's like, well, you're here. You may as well work for free right. for $7. And then and then I don't know why he needed to put that ankle thing on me. Stop it. And, um, he that, that wasn't him. That was that was somebody else. Yeah, that was the, the monitoring service. Yeah. But, yeah, so I did that. But I rode my bike everywhere. Yeah, so did That I. was the greatest thing ever. That was freedom. But, I mean, I'd, I'd ride it down to, you know, down to the, the convenience store and get a, you know – Treat or something and go back. But I don't you remember. I remember going to the convenience store easily at the age of six yes. by myself. By Me yourself. Too. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just took the gutter. <laughs> and hopped out at one mm-hmm. gutter, got in the other gutter, and it took me right to the place. I remember There's a dr- lot of rain wherever yeah. you live. <laughs> We'd ride our bikes to the to the the community park that was right. you know two miles away from the house. Right. There weren't bad people back then. There, there were. were. No, there weren't. Yeah, there were. No, there were. But but I do feel I never like saw it. I do feel like things are. I, I feel like society is more aggressive. I mean, it might be. It also is also where you're more informed. You are more informed. Right? We weren't as informed back then, so we didn't know there True. were bad people. Right. We did, but they were like the druggies that were in the field. And every, when they'd come <laughs> out in the field. field, the druggies would come out in the field. And they're like, "Hey, get away from my granite rock!" Sure. And then you got to get out of there. Druggies are generally pretty nice people, and though. they talk like pirates. Sure. Yeah. Arr. Yeah. Aren't That's we all really universally just... true? We should ask Aaron what his favorite game is. Yeah, um, favorite oh. game. Hi, Aaron. Wait, is this like video game or board game? Or... Okay, Aaron's just catching <laughs> Aaron up. Aaron has us. no idea what's I, going I on. I got a phone call from a credit card company, and so that's a game talking to them. If that counts, I don't wow, know. doesn't How'd count do? at all. Is your credit no? okay? No, it's fine. I was just, yeah, sorry to run away from the show. What's your favorite, favorite game, game as a child? Um, oh, I meant I remember uh, Loop and Louie. Remember I told you guys about Loop and Louie? No. Nobody, oh, no, not, not Matt. What's a Louie? Oh, okay. What's a Loopin'? It's an electric game you put batteries in. The little airplane goes around and hits these little chips off, and there's four of you who can play, and the objective is to like, make this plane kind of bounce to where it hits the other player's chips off, and you only have three chips each. And You have to see a video. It's kind of... That sounds yeah, fantastic, he, no, he, actually. Aaron showed me a video of it. It looks a lot like uh, Hungry Hungry Hippos, yeah, in a way. kind of. Except you got this thing flying around over your huh. over your thing. It's really fun. You know, when I played games also, my parents were always like, mildly disturbed because I was always reading way above my age level. And so I would play games that were like, huh, yeah. where did you learn about that concept? Like I was seven years old once and they, I'm at my friend's house and they walk into the house and they hear me yell, my water broke, my water broke, get the surgeon. And they're like, what the heck is going on up there? And I was giving birth in 1700s England, and there were complications, uh, and there needed to be an intervention. And they were like, you know, you are crazy. Maybe you could read like Mrs. Pickle Wiggles or you, something. You didn't tell your dad like, to go boil water or something. Do you well, know what would have happened? Get the have. leeches. Boil some have. water, father. It, it was, you would have died in my house. It, well, it was it was the the longest running joke of our family ever. Like, but you know what is weird about that? Because that's why I think we relate. Because when I was a child, I used to play wid- midwife. Really? Yeah, I, I, used to, I used to act like I was a midwife. You did not. You're lying yeah. right I deliver now. all of my children's dolls' babies. In <laughs> <laughs> that way, so your water was breaking, and I played midwife. Great games. <laughs> that is so messed up. Wouldn't you be midwife? See, that's why, that's why you're – that's why – well, I know, but they, they didn't have that in the books I was reading. They weren't mid-husbands. Listen, I'm a little skewed, okay? But that, I did. I played games like that. But look what that made you genius today. Yeah, right. <laughs> well done. Meg, you did it again. Take your creepy childhood. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Hey, we're out of here. Um, a little quote for you. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Oh. That's Will Rogers. Tomorrow, BYU professor Kevin Schaefer will be joining us. We'll be talking about step families 
and what happens in a family when new relationships enter the picture. Good stuff. Meg, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Take your water before it breaks. <laughs> this is the Matt Townsend Show. We're back. <laughs> she snorted on the air. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. More fun, more ideas right here on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.